Well, welcome to church. Uh, my name is Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here at EV. So glad you could join us online as we keep looking at 1 Peter and thinking through this last week in the last section of what it means for us to live in God's world. I want to ask, what is it that worries you the most? What is it that keeps going over and over in your head as you stare at your bedroom ceiling at night? Is it, is it money or family or relationships, health, job security, your future, maybe your kid's future? Maybe just mentioning these things, I've, I've caused you to freak out a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> there are so many things that capture our attention and compete for our mental and emotional space. Well, today we get to the end of Peter's letter about how we live in God's world. And we're actually in a section of what we call human history, the overlap of the ages. Look, I've, I've brought along a chart to help us understand. It's a bit of a common thing happening today. People bring charts to press conferences. But what I've brought is a chart here that shows us sort of history. This is called the present age here. And the present age is the reality where people die, where sin reigns. But then when Jesus came here, he began the new age, a new age that lasts forever. And you'll see this graph here almost goes straight off the page. We live in this overlap between the ages where Jesus has come and, and died and risen again, but he's not yet returned for his second coming. And, and we still experience pain and death and mourning and crying. So the question for us in 1 Peter and for us as we live is, how do we live in this section here called the overlap of the ages or the now, but not yet? Well, for us today, we're going to think through that very question. See, unlike other graphs and charts that show that what would have happened if New Zealand didn't go into lockdown and, and curb the COVID virus that went off the edge, that chart I just showed you shows what happens to those who trust in Jesus and goes right off the edge into, into, into eternity. But living in that middle section, in that now but not yet, is really easy to lose our perspective. To wonder, is, is God really in control? We feel anxious or worried about the hardship and suffering that we're going through. Well, Peter here gives us some final clarity on how we can stay the course until Christ returns. And he tells us three things about God that put our worries and troubles into perspective. Look with me from verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your cares on him because he cares about you. God's mighty hand rules the world. No matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter how bad it looks, no matter what you're worried about, God is in control. He will keep his promises. Jesus is coming back again. But that's not all Peter tells us about how to live in this overlap of the ages. Verse 7, we hear that God cares about you. I want you to think about that for a second. The most powerful being, in all of the universe, the one who created all things and controls all things, cares about you. He holds you as precious. He, he loves you, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, and then look at what he's done for us. Verse 10 of chapter 5. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. See, that word grace there just means gift. He's saying the God of all gifts the God who made everything, the God who sustains everything and gives life, the God who cares for you, has called you to his eternal glory. 
what Peter is saying is when the worries of the world and the stresses of sufferings press in, hold on. Don't get distracted. Don't give up. It's worth it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll share in his eternal glory, that magnificence that will last forever, that's off the chart. I want you to think for a second, what's the most glorious thing you've ever experienced? Is it a sunrise or a sunset where the whole sky just lights up or standing on top of a snow-covered mountain looking out at the great vista in front of you? Maybe for you it's being part of a winning team, experiencing the, the praise of coming first. Or maybe it was just finishing the race. All sorts of things kind of point us to a sense of glory. But all these things that I've talked about eclipse any idea of glory we've ever experienced because of the glory of God. See, so much of the glory we experience today here fades away. The sun sets, the snow melts. We're just not as competitive in the next season that we were in the first one. But the glory of God, when Jesus returns, all things will put be put right, and it will not end. And to ensure that we share in that glory, Peter wants to remind you and me that the creator of the universe cares for you. But he wants to remind us that Satan cares for us as well. Now, first hearing that, I hope you probably went, what? That sounds a bit weird. Satan cares for us? But look with me at verse 8. Peter says, be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling round like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Part of the way God ensures that those who trust in him stay firm, trusting Jesus to the end, is by reminding us of the reality of how much Satan cares. He cares about taking you off track. He cares about pressing in hard on those moments of suffering, the, the nights you lie awake, at night, looking at the, st- at the ceiling, feeling that the troubles of the world, wondering if it's all worth it. He cares because he wants to devour you. He wants to pull you away from trusting Jesus before Jesus returns. Satan gets the urgency of the moment, but sometimes we don't. And Peter reminds us of that reality. Satan is prowling around, ready to devour us. So look with me at verse 9. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The key to resisting Satan is remaining firm in the faith, knowing what God's word says and applying God's word to your life. And one of the keys to remaining firm is having elders who shepherd God's sheep. As we read this passage earlier, it might have sounded like an unconnected string of subjects. But I think Peter begins chapter 5 with elders for a few reasons. Firstly, the elders of the church are likely to be the the ones who are going to be in the firing line of suffering for being a Christian first. But secondly, the elders of the church are the ones through whom God protects his people. Look with me from verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, I've got to admit, it feels a little weird for me to be teaching 
the elders amongst us, given that at the moment that's just Andrew and myself. But Peter shows his humility here at the start by addressing himself as a fellow elder. He includes himself in it. And it's important that we understand what an elder is and how that works in the church, particularly our church, because we don't use the word elder very often. Now, the word translated elder here is presbyteros. It's a Greek word. Now, I usually hate talking about Greek words because, you know, rah-rah, someone knows Greek. But it's important because here we're going to see a few things. It's where we get the word Presbyterian from, uh, which just means an elder-led church. Um, It's also where um, you get the word priest from, presbyteros, the Latin version of that. But the elder here is, is called to oversee. Now, that's actually another Greek word. And bear with me, The word is episkopos, that's oversee. And that's where we get the word episcopalian, so episcopalian church. It literally just means the overseer or someone who oversees something or is responsible for it. It's the same word that we translate bishop. And that's why the episcopalian church or Anglican church has bishops. They say that they're bishop led. It just means overseer. But we also here see that the elder is called to shepherd God's flock. And the word shepherd is where we get the the word pastor from in the Latin. So what's going on here? Well, a pastor, an elder, and an overseer are all the same role. Peter has in mind here one role, but with three different aspects of that role. Not three. Sometimes people come along and say bishops are different from pastors, are different from elders. But that's not the expectation of Peter nor the Bible. The elder, the bishop, and pastor are the same. Now, I often get asked, people uh, coming along to EV, who are the elders of EV? But I rarely get asked, who are the bishops, right? But we should do, shouldn't we? We should get asked, who are the overseers? Because that's one of the biblical words that's used, as is leader, uh, as is pastor. Um, There's a number used. But here at EV, because there are so many different expectations from different church backgrounds that people come along with about what an elder means or or what a bishop is, all those sorts of things, we wouldn't call anyone a bishop. (laughs) We just use the word pastor. Because all those words in the New Testament are pointing to the same role. Um, and we see them here at EV as, as a pastor, an elder, and the overseer. They're the same person, the pastors of church. They're the, the men God has entrusted to pastor and oversee his people. So Peter commands us, the, the pastors of, of church, to shepherd and pastor the flock, remembering that you, the flock, are God's flock. See? A church never belongs to its pastor. I don't want anyone ever to say this is Rowan's church or Andrew's church, right? I don't want people to think like that or to hear that going on. It's, it is God's church. And it's a great warning for those of us who've been given the privilege of being your pastors. You are God's people, precious, belonging to Him. And that means we are to take great care of His precious possession. That's a massive responsibility being a pastor. That God has entrusted um, His people to us to be loved and, and, and to lead well by laying down our lives and by serving and teaching the Word of God. And Peter says, we must not do it out of compulsion. We must not be people who are going, oh, I guess so. I guess I have to do this. But actually, willingly, because we, we see what's going on. We see we're in the overlap of the ages. And we see from the Scriptures that Jesus is coming back. I want to keep reminding people through the Word of God of that. We're to do it not for the, for the money. Now, I don't know how many pastors and, and churches have been compromised because of money, because of a love for money. That's why here at EV, our executive committee who are elected by the church congregation, they set out the remuneration policy. 
they've linked it to the average weekly earning of someone in full-time employment. So if, if that figure put out by uh, StatsNZ goes up, our wage goes up a little. If that figure goes down, our wage goes down each year and gets reset. None of the pastors here have any say in what we get paid, but we're freed up. And we're so thankful for that, but we're freed up to be able to serve you. Uh, sometimes people give us gifts or give us some payment for doing a, a talk somewhere outside of church. All of that money, uh, if people give us gifts or outside of church payment, goes to church because you free us up. It's on church time. We don't get extra money by doing extra gigs on the side. Now, we want to be very clear. The love of money is the root of all evil, says Paul. And that's why uh, as people and, and pastors are, are looking at joining our team and we're inviting people to come as part of the pastoral team, we always ask them what their giving habits are. Because pastors, Peter says here, are to be an example to the flock. And if we're an example, then we need to not live for money because that's what we need to be exemplifying for the people around us, for the people that we're serving and leaving. If we're in it for the money, we need to find a different job. <laughs> now, the way that we pastor here at EV is a little different to some other churches that you might have been a part of. And it's important just to take a moment now to think through that as we talk about this passage that talks about the role of pastors and elders in the church. Now, lots of churches, they, they have one pastor per congregation, which is a fine model. It's been done through the Puritans and out of Richard Baxter. But what you tend to see when there's one pastor per congregation, per group of people, that those congregations are limited in size to, to 100 to 150 people. One of the reasons for that is, generally, you can only have about 150 meaningful connections with people. But one of our great prayers here at EV, and I, I, I take it for every Christian, is to see more and more people come to know Jesus and be part of a local church. And to do that, we need churches bigger than 150. So how do we pastor bigger churches? Well, as you do that, as you seek to see more people loved and cared for, you need to be deliberate and we need to delegate. See, usually the average pastor is very relational. We don't necessarily love systems and processes. I'm naturally not a process person. I need processes to help me stay on track. But when church gets to a certain size, if there's no, um, if the people have no personal relationship with the pastor, they start to feel unconnected because the only way to feel connected at church is relationship with the pastor. There are no other structures or, or trellises to do this great ministry vine work off. And unless you create structure and systems, churches don't tend to grow beyond the kind of 100, 150 people mark. Do you know that 80% of churches in the USA are under 100 people? Now, so what we try to do here at EV through the way we pastor is to delegate the different roles we have to train up other leaders so we have every member ministry. We're trying to see all the people of church raised up into different areas of service and connect group leaders come and, and, and help um, be small p pastors of, of people in their connect groups. What Paul says the role of pastors is in Ephesians 4 is to equip the saints for works of service. And so we take it that part of our role is to be equipping you as, as a congregation, as we ourselves are equipped to serve too. Now, sometimes we kind of hear the different structures we have and the way we've set up connect groups and leaders over those, and it can feel a little bit businessy. People are like, oh, you know, just it's, it's too kind of organized. I want to be more organic. But I want to help you understand, part of the reason that businesses feel businessy is because they're organizing people. It's not necessarily an ungodly thing. It's just part of the reality of what it is to organize more people. And as we grow in size, being more organized doesn't make us any less of a family. Imagine for a moment a family who has one child. 
Now, it's probably pretty unlikely that there's a roster on the fridge of all the things that need to happen, of where they need to be all the time. You don't really need that with, with one child. But if you had a family of 12 kids, I can guarantee you there's a roster on the fridge. Or there should be. There's, there's, there's a calendar with who's going to be where and when. I mean, look, if the Home Alone franchise, the movie with Macaulay Culkin in it, if they've had a roster on the fridge, there wouldn't be Home Alone 1 or 2 or 3 because they would have brought him with him, with them. No, but the large family, even though it has structures, is no less a family. And as we grow as a church and we plant new congregations, we need to have good systems and structures to look after the sheep. See, how did the shepherd in Jesus' parable know that there was one sheep missing from the hundred? It's because he counted the sheep. He knew how many there were. So here at EV, we, we try and use a structure called purposes to organize the way that we pastor. We have five purposes. Have a look at this picture on the screen that shows you the structure that we use. And we pastor according to those purposes. Now, if you've been to Newish lately, you, you would have seen us talk through them. Uh, the five key purposes here are magnification, mission, membership, maturity, and ministry. We have a, a team of pastors who are pastoring just one or two of those particular purposes across all of EV, across all our campuses, to grow us in this biblical purpose. And like Paul says, the body has many parts, so our pastors have differing gifts and abilities. Our magnification purpose is trying to pastor us to glorify God in all that we do and to love and delight in Him. While the mission pastor is trying to equip us all to be missionaries saved and sent by Jesus. Now, the membership pastor is trying to help us to be gospel partners that, that love and belong to the EV community and help people to connect well. The maturity pastor is trying to help all people in church to grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus to be more like Him. And the ministry pastor, that ministry role is to identify our gifts, uh, equip us as a church and to unleash us to serve God's people. Now, we've taken these five areas as a summary of the biblical purposes we have as a church. We, we have a team of pastors, not just one pastor per congregation or campus, but a team working together through other leaders to see people standing firm in Christ on that last day. Now, as you think through the size we are as a church, just over 550 people come at least once in a month to EV. Um, that's a lot of people for two pastors. But it's not just us. Um, we always say here at EV that your primary pastoral point of contact is your connect group leader. Uh, connect group leaders really are small E elders. They don't have that responsibility over the whole church, but they do over those that are in their group who they've got a far closer connection with and more frequent connection with than the pastors can ever have. They help you to stay um, trusting in Jesus and firm and resisting the devil. Uh, they help you to keep opening up the word and applying that. And we try and help by pastoring those connect group leaders and hearing how different connect groups are going and to see all of church uh, connected to the word and to one another. We keep saying the phrase here at EV, um, you won't know everyone, but everyone will be known. And through the way that we've set up this um, purpose pastor structure, we're really trying to see you get the best level of pastoral care you can possibly get rather than it just being one person. Now, now the best way to ensure you get good pastoral care here at EV uh, is to use really a beach analogy. You know, when you go to the beach and there's big waves, not like the Auckland Harbour beaches, but say Piha or, you know, uh, on, on the Coromandel somewhere and there's big waves and there's things like rips. Well, during the summer, they have these flags on the beach that you can swim between that are guarded by the lifeguards. So the analogy we use, the best way to, to feel the pastoral care and be connected here at EV is to swim between the flags. 
It's to know the different structures we have, like connect groups and our serving teams, and to make sure you, you get plugged into one of those. Now, I'm not saying that if you swim beyond the flags that we're not going to run after you and, and try and get you out of the rip that you get stuck in or if people wander from Jesus. We're just saying the best way and, and the most helpful way to be connected and growing and remaining in Christ here at AV is to come regularly to church, to be in a connect group where you can be sharing your life with others and to be serving on a team somewhere. That's the structure that we've, we've set up uh, for your good to see you grow and remain in Christ while we wait for Jesus' return. Now, we, we put lots of effort into our Connect leaders. We produce a training video for them every week to help them to apply the Bible and lead their groups well. Uh, we, we, we have heaps of effort that have gone into our kids' church leaders and our youth leaders because we see that it's our role to be equipping the saints for works of service and helping others to be able to apply the Word of God to the lives of those that they are serving. Now, I need to say that one of the greatest joys of my life and my role here as your pastor is the way God works through all of you to build one another up. It's just a testament to how great God is to see so many of you equipped and serving one another. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, I just went away on long service leave for, for two months and Andrew's then been away. But church has run really well because of the way God has gifted each of you. I'm so thankful to God for you. I mean, if church was limited to Andrew and I doing all the work, the pastoring, right, we'd have a church of 50 people. <laughs> but as we grow as a church, and particularly as we plant a third campus on the North Shore, as um, soon as we get out of lockdown is the aim for that, to start underground. Uh, we'll have one more week together. But as we do that, we're going to need more pastors. And so I'd love to take this opportunity to introduce you not to one, but to two new pastors who've accepted the invitation to serve us in 2022 here at EV. Hey Auckland EV, uh, my name's Ben. And I'm Sophie. Uh, and we're really excited to be coming across to Auckland EV next year. I'm heaps excited to join the pastoral team and I'm going to be looking after maturity and a few other bits and pieces. Um, but we just wanted to introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about us. So I grew up overseas in Nepal uh, and uh, we came back to Australia at the start of high school. But really for me, it was the end of high school where the lights were switched on and I realized uh, who Jesus was, what he'd actually done for me. And then I had a choice to make whether I was going to live with him as my king or not. And I've been trying to do that ever since. Um, and for me, it looked like um, going to study occupational therapy at uni. And then after that, working and then doing an MTS apprenticeship down in a little church plant in Wollongong, just south of Sydney. Um, I think that time was really formative and um, shape lots of the convictions that we have about local church ministry um, and very like-minded to Auckland EV in, in terms of Jesus at the centre and, and making disciples uh, and equipping each other to lead and serve in the church. Similarly to Ben, uh, my parents are missionaries as well and I grew up in Pakistan um, and we came back to Sydney at the end of primary school and um, yeah, towards the end of high school I started to take uh, my faith more seriously for myself uh, and so I moved from my parents church to another local church which is actually where I met Rowan. Um, uh, so he was my pastor for a couple of years before coming to plant Auckland EV. Um, anyway I went off to uni, studied fine arts um, and communications and then after we got married at the end of uni um, I started doing a bit of ceramics while I was working and um, doing that a bit more full-time before um, Ruben came along. So, 
these days um, I hang out with Ruben who's almost four and Eden is one and a half we are so excited to be coming to Auckland next year God willing um, we visited a couple of years ago um, met a whole bunch of you guys and it was just so encouraging to see people excited um, to be part of church um, and to be sharing the gospel with um, their communities and we just want to be part of that as well mm, yeah, yeah I, I think it was partly um, the need which I mean there's need everywhere but it's that um, just that there's there's so few churches in New Zealand um, and I think the opportunity that came along with that for us where we thought you know we've both grown up overseas um, you know we have heaps to learn coming across to a new culture um, but could could God use someone like us with our life experience um, in a place place like New Zealand and at Auckland EV and, and we thought actually yeah he could um, but I think thirdly it's just the culture at Auckland EV we loved seeing the way that um, people took seriously what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like we came across that summer and there was a bunch of people that had given up their summers uh, in order to do an internship for free at church so that they could be better developed to um, serve and lead in ministries at church and encourage others. And that's that's the kind of church we want to be at. Um, we've got heaps to learn, but we're so excited to come and um, be part of what God's doing at Auckland EV. Uh, at this stage, we're planning to get across there to start first week of January next year. Um, but currently, we can't even leave the country or fly or anything. Um, and so we'd love your prayers that we'd be able to get um, across to Auckland to start at the start of next year. Um, and we'd love your prayers. You know, we're in lockdown here. We know you guys just went into lockdown there and we're praying for you as well. But, um, you know, you guys would know this. There's heaps of uh, challenges, but also opportunities for the gospel and opportunities to, um, uh, in a moment like this, to see how God's going to be at work in us, growing us to be more like his son. So we'd love your prayers for us here as we kind of navigate that in Sydney and we'll be praying for you guys and, and look forward to getting to know you more next year. See you guys. See ya. Hi, I'm Ming. And I'm Angela. Over the past couple of years, Angela and I have been over in Sydney studying at Moore Theological College. Quick shout out to Ben and Soph. Uh, we met them there and hung out with them at college. Um, but we're also finishing up at the end of this year and I've accepted the invitation to be Auckland EV's next mission pastor. Uh, now to cut a long story short, we've actually, uh, we're actually already here in Auckland on the North Shore, uh, but I've been doing my studies online uh, since Sydney's been in lockdown. Um, prior to our time in Sydney, we both did a ministry apprenticeship here at EV and for me, I loved being able to walk alongside women who come from different backgrounds and different stages of life and to see them be amazed by who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And as an outflow of that, to see them grow in their conviction to serve and to see the gospel go out with the gifts and capacities that God has given them. One of the big things for me coming out of my apprenticeship at EV was recognizing the great weight and privilege it is to be a part of pastoral ministry. It's something I knew in theory, saw in the Bible, but never fully appreciated until I experienced it firsthand. Uh, we're both really humbled and excited to be coming back to Auckland EV, coming back home uh, and joining the pastoral team. Uh, over the past few years, few years, we've watched on in the distance I have been encouraged by all the new faces in church, people making big decisions to follow Jesus, uh, and the stories of people moving from death to life. 
Uh, for next year, I'm especially looking forward to partnering with you all in the Great Commission. You know, growing in our desire to see all those around us hear and take hold of the great news of Jesus Christ that we have. Well, how exciting is that? Uh, we've been chatting uh, to Ben and Sophie for over two years about this role, and Ming and Angela are homegrown. It's so great to have them back amongst us. I'm really looking forward to seeing our pastoral team double from um, just Andrew and I to having four pastors amongst us here. Now, God uses our pastors to help us remain in Him. And I think that's why Peter puts this section here at the start of 1 Peter 5. But please, please, please pray for your pastors. In the Anglican prayer book, the tradition that I grew up in, it has these words read at the ordination of new pastors. Uh, have a listen to them now. Have always there printed in your mind how great a treasure is committed to your care. For they are the sheep of Christ, whom he bought with his death, and for whom he shed his blood. The church and congregation whom you must serve is his bride and his body. If it should come about that the church or any of its members is hurt or hindered as a result of your negligence, you know the greatness of the fault and the judgment that will follow. They're good words, but they're sobering words. That's the reality of what you take on as a pastor. Now we, as your pastors, we don't always get it right. When we fail, please come and talk to us. Uh, you know, we're trying to set out a model at church when we meet in person to have time after every service where you can come up the front and chat to the preacher straight afterwards. We want to try and encourage that to keep happening um, every time. If you've got questions or you want to talk through things, please come chat to us. We're available up the front after church or put it in the chat now and, and we'd love to get back to you. Or you can fill out a Connect card. That's also why we have Connect cards. They're, they're so important for us as a church. Uh, we as a staff team pray through them every week. Um, now, it might feel one-sided, like you send stuff off and you, you don't know what happens, but we really do pray for each and every one of you. And, and we love you and want to hear from you and want to be praying for you. So please keep doing that. Keep filling them out. One of the key ways God helps us to remain in the faith is through this role of pastors and, and leaders of church, teaching the word and equipping us for works of service. But it's not just the elders. Peter here wants to talk about the youngers as well, uh, who have a role to play in remaining in the faith. So look with me at verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, it's a short word, but I think it's an important word that applies to both men and women. But I think it's mostly the guys who have this problem. Uh, we have a problem being submissive. Uh, it's just not part of who we naturally are. Now, notice the passage never says that elders are to make any of the sheep submit to them. But the call is for the sheep to follow the leadership of the elders as they teach the word of God and as it lines up with the word of God. But us guys, we're competitive, we're proud, we're argumentative, we're arrogant. That's just at the best of times, right? We, we so often think we know best and, and that the older guys have gone soft. Now, I don't know what it is for women, whether sometimes you think, oh, those older ladies, they've gone a bit cuckoo. Um, once they've had a few kids, they're not really that helpful. <laughs> it's not true at all. Peter is, is telling us that in the face of suffering and as the devil prowls around, one of the ways to remain in Christ is to be submissive to those that are more mature than you, to, to, to listen to them, to listen to them as they 
seek to lead you, to, to open up the scriptures with you. Now, it might not be someone who's a long, a long way more mature. It might be a couple of years or it might be 10 or 20 or 30 years. But we're trying to encourage and love and build up one another as brothers and sisters. And as the leaders of church, the elders shepherd God's flock to do that in a loving, careful way. Notice here, it's also the expectation that more mature men and women are leading and are teaching less mature men and women. That's one of the things we want to be seeing happen and be equipping you to be able to do. Let me ask you, older men and women, are you taking seriously the call to lead and grow and, and work hard at your theology that you might love others and walk alongside others and help them to apply the Bible and, and remain in Christ? It's funny, the writer of Hebrews speaks of the problem of immaturity in the church. He says this, We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. <laughs> it's pretty strong, isn't it? The writer of Hebrews' expectation is that we're all growing to be able to love and lead others. Not necessarily all of us become preachers or anything like that, but to be opening up the word with others and asking how they're going and, and leading them well. How are you going at thinking through, applying and growing in the understanding of the word of God? As we grow as a church, the staff team, we've been praying for more and more people and to grow, to see more and more people come to know Jesus and become part of his family means that we're going to need more and more people to handle the word of God and to stand up and humbly lead. So older men and older women, can I encourage you to, to lead alongside your pastors with great joy and applying the word of God. And if, if, if you need some help in that and you want to go, how can I be trained to do this? How can I be sharpened? We'd love to chat with you. It would bring us no more great joy than to actually chat through that with you. So younger men and women, you though need to be careful. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. I think there's a reason that that's all very easy for us guys. 2 Timothy 2.22. Remember it. He says this, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness with faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. So the evil desires of youth are the foolish and stupid arguments that produce quarrels. Young men and young women, how are you going at submitting to those that are older, those that are more mature in the faith? Do you ignore their advice? Do you sometimes recoil and be offended because someone maybe a couple of years ahead of you brings something up and asks you a question about how you're going in godliness or what does this mean and you think you know better? We need to not be like that. We need to resist the devil and listen. But it's not just the younger ones amongst us. It's all of us. Did you see verse 5? Come with me. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Another key to remaining in the faith and resisting the devil is to be humble. It's to be humble. Don't be proud. 
Don't be too stubborn to ask for help when you need it. If we want to stay in this overlap of the ages with the, the, the sufferings and the frustrations of life and, and feeling like, man, what are we doing here? And Satan's prowling around trying to rip us out by roaring lies at us. Well, we need to be humble. We actually need to ask for help when we need it. And we need to not think we're better than anyone else or we know better than, than anyone else, but have a humility about the way we think, oh, maybe I could be wrong. Peter tells us that the creator of the universe, the one whose mighty hand rules this world, is opposed to the proud. So I can think of hundreds of opponents I would rather have than God, can't you? No, make humility the very thing that clothes you. Let it drip from you. Let it, let it be your very character. And as we have humility towards one another, we need to humble ourselves before God as well. We need to remember, He is our Father, the mighty ruler of the world, the one who controls all things. So as we're tempted to worry, we need to humble ourselves before God and cast our anxieties on Him. But don't forget, we are at war. Satan is prowling around like a lion, roaring out lies, trying to devour you. So Peter says, resist him. Church, gathering together around the Word, having this come now and learning from God's Word and then encouraging one another in connect groups throughout the week. Um, pastors and connect group leaders as they uh, unpack the Word of God, uh, they're all here to help us resist Satan and, and enjoy the great joy of looking forward to our future. One of the things I've observed over the last kind of 20 years of ministry has been that so often we get offended when people bring things up with us. You know, we feel challenged. I'm just talking about myself and I know others as well. But we can take it so personally. We go off in a half or we say, that person said this thing or that thing. We need to make sure that we bring those issues up with people in a loving way and we aren't attacking when we bring them up. But we've got to make sure that we listen to, to what others bring up, haven't we? God's given us one another as a church to build one another up. He's given us teachers to be able to teach the Word of God. As we see concerns, as, as we love others, as we see Satan starting to win in the lives of others, we, we need to speak up. My old boss used to have this great uh, phrase that he'd say. He'd come in and he'd go, oh, who's winning, Rowan, God or Satan? <laughs> That's a brilliant question. See, it's not the type of question you have in the light casual dinner party, you know, when people are just having some chit chat. But when you've actually got appropriate time to ask someone how they're going and what's going on with their life, honestly, it can be a great question. Hey, look, how can I be praying for you at the moment? How, how are you struggling to resist Satan? Now, I'd, I'd personally love to know this week. The staff team would be keen um, to know how you're going. Who's winning in your life, God or Satan? You don't have to do this, but if, if you want to, maybe put it on your Connect card. Now, how can we as a staff team be praying for you to resist Satan specifically this week? Uh, maybe you could go around your Connect group and ask one another. How can we be praying for you to resist Satan? What areas do you feel most tempted by him. Friends, we're at war. Satan's trying to take us out. We're suffering for standing up as Christians in this overlap of the ages that we're in. And Peter is saying we need to resist by staying in the Word of God, by sitting under it for those that he's given us to lead, and, and by being humble. We resist it by remembering what Peter has told us in the Word over these last five chapters. You know, the suffering we experience for standing firm for Jesus 
It's the same suffering experienced by Christians across the world. So don't think, oh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Be encouraged. When life is tough because you stand up as a Christian, well done. We're still in this overlap of the ages, so we need to keep going. So be encouraged. Keep going. Look forward to sharing the amazing glory to come. Remember that? Peter talked about that inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. It's the end of the chart that goes off the end, that lasts forever. Look forward to sharing in that great glory. And remember this, the God of all grace, the God of all gifts, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen and support you after you've suffered for a little while. To him be dominion forever. What a promise. What a God. What a book to encourage us to keep going. So let's pray that God would help us to resist the devil and see the amazing picture of what he has in store for us in eternity and stand firm in him. Let's pray. Father God, you are the only one who controls the heavens. You are in control of the whole earth. And yet you love us. You care for us. You've given us your word. Uh, You've you've given us pastors and leaders to be able to help us and serve us. And you've given us to one another. Lord, it is such a blessing to be part of your church. But we admit that sometimes, often we can be overwhelmed with how hard it is to stand up for Jesus. Or think through that, that maybe this return of Jesus isn't coming. Please help us as we look at your word to think through how we might serve you how we might stand firm trusting you, how we might as a church keep seeing more and more people come to know you. Lord, for those that are here today checking out who Jesus is and what the Christian life is like, may you show them a picture of the glory that is to come for those who trust in Jesus' death in our place. Father, we are so thankful that you are in control and we honour you with our lives and ask that you'd lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory and the kingdom. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.